Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert told members of the House Natural Resources Committee last Wednesday that despite House rules, she walks around the Capitol with a loaded pistol. This is Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna. She's a MAGA Florida Republican. This is her first term. She told the same committee on Wednesday that she, too, is walking around the Capitol with a fully loaded pistol. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who now sits on the Homeland Security Committee, you know, before becoming a member of Congress, according to CNN, she indicated support for executing prominent Democrats like Nancy Pelosi, President Barack Obama, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Well, when she first came to Congress about two years ago, she was stripped of all her committee assignments because she was advocating violence against her fellow members. She, too, believes members of Congress should be allowed to walk around the Capitol fully armed. Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, she is the number three in the House leadership. It's McCarthy, Scalise, and then Elise Stefanik. She's number three in the Republican House leadership, and she is married to Matthew, Matthew Manda, one of Washington's top lobbyists for gun manufacturers, which is why on January 3rd of this year, when the Republicans took back control of the House of Representatives, metal detectors were removed from outside the House chamber. Now, while members of Congress are still forbidden from bringing loaded weapons into the Capitol and onto the House floor, this rule is no longer being enforced because... It's all about freedom. That's Texas Republican Congressman Troy Nels, who says it's all about freedom, not my freedom, not your freedom. It's all about the freedom of corporations to pollute our water, poison our food, and of course, sell us all the guns we need to kill 50,000 Americans this year. It's all about freedom. Yes, it is. It's all about freedom. What do you think? What do you think? Are you comfortable with members of Congress showing up to work fully loaded? And I don't mean drunk. Would you be comfortable working with colleagues who are packing heat? How likely are we to have a civilized debate about, I don't know, renewing the assault weapons ban, knowing one side of the aisle who doesn't want to renew the assault weapons ban, is packing a weapon. Is allowing members of Congress, do you think allowing members of Congress to bring weapons into the chamber, do you think this is a not-so-subtle erosion of democracy? I do. You know, the crazies drove everyone out of the Republican Party. There's nobody left inside the Republican Party unless, unless you're a crazy it, it's not safe to be a sane Republican anymore. I'm being serious. When you ask the Republican members of Congress why they quit after Trump seized power, they all said they no longer felt safe. They said it off the record. Most of them said it off the record. 
But every single Republican who quit after Trump took office said they did so because they did not feel safe. Now, are these crazies? Are these Republican crazies going to start driving Democrats out of Washington, too? Is that the plan? Let me ask you, would you serve in Congress knowing that Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene are walking around carrying weapons, loaded weapons? Let me know in the comments section down below. I read all the comments and I try to I try to respond to some, especially the ones that make me laugh or the ones that provide me with information. If you send me a link in the comments section down below uh, for an article I should read. I uh, usually thank you. Uh, you'll know I read your comment if there's a heart next to it. So uh, please leave a comment. I read all the comments. And while you're leaving a comment, please subscribe to my show so you don't miss any episodes. More importantly, I don't have any corporate funding. This is all grassroots. Nobody knows who I am. So I need you to do me a favor and share this episode, if you like it, share this episode with your friends on social media or through email. If you really want to help me, if you enjoy this show and you want to support my work, the best thing you could do for me is to copy the link to this episode and share it. This is from The Washington Post. By January 24th of 2023, there were nearly 40 mass shootings here in America. That's a brand new record for January, beating the previous record from last January. By January 23rd of this year, America had 1,214 gun deaths for 2023. Record gun deaths here in America year after year. It went down, I'm showing you a chart now, you can see in 2021, it went, uh, it, uh, went down a little. Uh, from, it went down a little in 2022. It peaked in 2021. But pretty much record done gun deaths year after year. And what weapon, what weapon are Republicans most concerned about? Government. Yes, they're saying our government has been weaponized. Thank you, Dr. Frank Luntz. There's an epidemic of gun violence, so... The party that gets its money from the gun lobby has been taught by Dr. Frank Luntz to deflect, and it insists that it's the government that has been weaponized, not a handful of impotent, self-loathing incels who have been weaponized. No, Dr. Frank Luntz taught Republicans to twist language, insists the FBI, the IRS, the Justice Department, they're the ones who have been weaponized. It's not the gun-toting, low-information, mental deficients, desperately in need of psychiatric help. No, no, no. It's the government. It's the government that's weaponized. And these Republican warts on humanity who think the government has been weaponized, they need guns to protect themselves from that government, the very same government that builds their roads, 
provides them with whatever social safety net there's left. I can assure you most of the people who are stockpiling guns to protect themselves from the government need that government. They have no problem cashing our evil government's checks. Only in America could these parasitic genetic deformities get away with convincing themselves and others that they are the rightful party of Jesus. Here is Donald Trump. Here he is on our weaponized government. We have a weaponized justice system like this country has never seen before. The FBI. Right. It's the Justice Department that's been weaponized. The FBI is weaponized because you refuse to turn over classified documents. So it's the FBI that's been weaponized. It's the Justice Department that's been weaponized because you incited an insurrection. But when weaponized cops shoot an unweaponized black man in the back, Republicans stand with the officer because it's hard out there for cops. We need to show them love. This is opportunistic infection and number three Republican leader in the House, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. There are many reasons to loathe, and I don't think loathe is too strong a word. There are many reasons to despise Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. Her incredibly rich father bought her a brand new BMW after she graduated from high school which she famously drove all over Cambridge and Boston while attending Harvard. She listed her parents' vacation home as her residence in order to claim she lives among the rubes in the heavily rural 21st Congressional District she deigns to represent. She was a never-Trumper until she saw the writing on the wall and became a MAGA-Trumper. But the number one reason to hate Congresswoman Elise Stefanik is because of who she loves, this guy. Elise Stefanik is married to Matthew Manda, a toad-faced sewer rat who works as manager of public affairs for the National Shooting Sports Foundation, which is based in Newtown, Connecticut. Now, if... Newtown, Connecticut sounds familiar. That's because Newtown, Connecticut, not just being the headquarters for National Shooting Sports Foundation, it's also where Adam Lanza, on December 14th, 2012, took a Bushmaster AR-15 rifle, a Glock 10 millimeter, and a Sig Sauer 9 millimeter into Sandy Hook Elementary School and shot six adults plus 20 children to death. Lanza, the bad guy with a gun, ended his killing spree by shooting himself to death, thereby becoming the good guy with a gun. Bad guy with a gun becomes good guy with a gun. And as far as this Republican Party is concerned, you can transition from a bad guy with a gun to a good guy with a gun, but don't you dare transition from being a bad guy with a gun to being a good girl with a gun, then stay away from our children. It's all about freedom. 
Yes, it is. It's all about freedom, isn't it, Congressman Troy Nell? Uh, Matthew Manda, like I said, is married to Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, and his National Shooting Sports Foundation, like the NRA, is a front for the gun industry. Wendy Libertori last year wrote over at the Times Union. The Times Union covers the congressional district in upstate New York, which the Harvard-educated my daddy bought me a brand new BMW for a high school graduation gift. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik represents. Did I mention Elise Stefanik listed her parents' vacation home as her residence to prove she lives among the hayseeds in her heavily rural congressional district? Well, anyway, according to the Times Union, Opportunistic infection, Elise Stefanik's husband, Matthew Manda, is the uh, manager of public affairs for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And it is his job, surprisingly enough, you're not going to believe this, it is his job to lobby Congress on behalf of gun manufacturers. Wendy Liberatore over at the Times Union writes that... Uh, Last year, as the debate over gun control heats up following back-to-back mass shootings, the industry has a spokesman with unparalleled access to U.S. Representative Elise Stefanik, the number three Republican in the House. Her husband and his name is Matthew Manda. Elise Stefanik is literally in bed with the gun lobby. Elise Stefanik's husband, Matthew Manda, gets up every day, goes to work and tries to get more and more guns into the hands of active shooters because there's big money to be made in selling weapons to nutcases like the shooter who, back in 2017, Almost killed Steve Scalise, the number two leader in the House. You can see him standing right behind Elise Stefanik. So let's learn more about Matthew Manda's National Shooting Sports Foundation. Do you remember uh, last year's uh, shooting in Uvalde, Texas? Do you remember that? Uh, Well, say hello to Marty Daniel. He makes the weapon that was used to kill all those beautiful souls. Marty Daniels is the head of Daniel Defense, and he makes the AR-15 that was used in all your favorite school shootings, including Uvalde. Here he is. Here is Marty Daniel of Daniel Defense. Here he is telling us why he loves Matthew Manda's National Shooting Sports Foundation. They're very good on the data. Oh, they're very good on the data. Oh, that's good. So Lee Stefanik's husband is very good on the data. That's good to know. So I'm sure Matthew Manda, Lee Stefanik's husband, sends out the daily data of uh, children killed by guns, you know, showing that Firearms are the number one leading cause of death for American children and teenagers. That's according to the CDC. 
Firearms are the number one leading cause of death for American children and teens. Last year, according to the CDC, I'm sorry, in 2020, according to the CDC, 4,357 children died from guns. 3,639 died from car accidents. And it's interesting because not everybody owns a firearm, but pretty much everyone either owns a car or travels in a car, yet guns still kill way, way more children. Hmm, I wonder why. Could it have anything to do with cars being regulated? You know, you need a license. You must pass a test to drive a car, I think that might have something to do with it, don't you? Let's break down the numbers here. Of the 2020, in 2020, of all the children who were killed by guns, 2,811 were murdered. And even worse, I think, 1,293 used those guns to commit suicide. Yeah. Standing behind Elise Stefanik is the number two man in the House, Steve Scalise, who represents Louisiana, right? This is Steve Scalise back in 2017 in a stretcher after he was shot by an assassin trying to take out Republican congressmen practicing for a charity baseball game. Scalise would have bled out had it not been for the Capitol Police being on the scene to airlift him to a nearby hospital. This is Steve Scalise in the ICU, uh, where surgeons had to rebuild shattered internal organs and bones. And, of course, he nearly died uh, from the gunshot wound. They couldn't stop the bleeding. This is uh, Congressman Steve Scalise on the road to recovery. The bullet shattered his hip and he had to learn how to walk all over again. But God bless this man, Steve Scalise, getting shot, coming this close to death, didn't shake his resolve to keep on taking campaign contributions from the National Rifle Association. Here he is speaking at the NRA convention two years after being shot. And I think we can all agree that Steve Scalise earned every penny, every red cent the NRA or Matthew Manda's National Shooting Sports Foundation donated to him. But let's not forget that Steve Scalise didn't do it all alone. There are also, also the children specifically the children from the great state of Louisiana that Steve Scalise represents. Let's take a look at this chart from the CDC, which reports that children in Louisiana get shot to death more than children in any other state here in America. Look at that. Quite impressive. This is from 2020, and it's from the CDC. For every 100,000 children living in Steve Scalise's Louisiana, 12.9 will be shot to death. Now, I'm not talking about getting wounded by a gun. I'm not talking about a child witnessing a mass shooting. I'm talking dead children. 
For every 100,000 children living in Steve Scalise's Louisiana, 12.9 will be shot to death. And unlike Steve Scalise, they don't get any money from the gun lobby. They make the ultimate sacrifice for our right to bear arms, and they don't get a red cent. Take a look at this. Remember Sarah Palin, that inflamed ulceration of the thyroid in lipstick and heels? Sarah Palin is a huge supporter of gun rights. Well, her home state, Alaska, comes in second. Right. For every 100,000 children living in Sarah Palin's Alaska, 12 will be killed by guns. Okay, then comes Mississippi, South Carolina, Arkansas, Kansas, Indiana, Kentucky, Missouri and Alabama. Those are the states where children are most likely to get shot to death. And what? What do these states all have in common? You can't get an abortion. You can't get an abortion there, but you can get a gun. And they all resisted Obamacare's Medicaid expansion. You see, they love children right up until they're born. These are called red states. I'm not sure if they're red from the blood or the embarrassment. Well, a month after the Times Union broke the story about Elise Stefanik's husband, Matthew Manda, Tim Dickinson in June of 2022 wrote about Elise Stefanik's husband for Rolling Stone when he reported that the National Shooting Sports Foundation spent $5 million on lobbying Congress in 2021 alone. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik herself has received at least $20,000 in campaign donations from her husband's organization. And that doesn't include the speaking gigs she's done for, for him. But even worse, even worse... Even worse, her husband is not a registered lobbyist, according to Rolling Stone. According to Tim Dickinson in Rolling Stone magazine, her husband is not a registered lobbyist. But technically speaking, you know, he's not lobbying the halls of Congress. He's lobbying the thralls of sexual Congress. Wow, that was horrible. Well, (laughs) let me just that was I apologize that that, uh, if Jesse Jackson had said that in 1988, it would have sounded right. He's uh, lobbying the thralls of sexual Congress. Okay, not good. I apologize. I apologize. But there she is. This opportunistic infection, Harvard's very own Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, married to a gun lobbyist, telling the American people that it's the government that's been weaponized. It's the government, right? This year, 50,000 Americans will die from her husband's guns 
But she insists we will vote to protect every American's constitutional rights with the new select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. Yes, it's the weaponization of the federal government. And apparently this weaponization includes fully weaponized members of Congress, specifically fully weaponized Republican members of Congress. And this, this has Democratic Congressman Jared Huffman from California deeply concerned. Politico reported that last Wednesday, the House Natural Resources Committee, under Republican leadership, voted against banning their members from bringing guns to their meetings. Members of Congress I thought, are banned from carrying loaded weapons onto the House floor or while they're walking around the Capitol, they're not allowed to carry loaded weapons. And they're certainly not allowed, according to the Capitol Police, to carry loaded weapons into committee meetings. But apparently this rule isn't followed by everyone. And so Democratic Congressman Jared Huffman worried about his own security, asked his fellow members of the House Natural Resources Committee, it's a reasonable question, how many of you are carrying weapons? And Congresswoman Lauren Boebert had an answer. This is video from Politico. How many members feel like they would need to carry a weapon into our committee hearings? Got I one. feel I need one everywhere here. There everywhere? Is, oftentimes we are sure. harassed in the hallways. We walk the, the, alone. The gentleman and, hasn't you. And just uh, how? And would those be loaded weapons, presumably? Not an unloaded weapon. Okay, that's helpful to know too. Okay, that's helpful to know too. Uh, not an unloaded weapon. So says Lauren Bobert, Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Bobert, who says openly admits that she walks around the halls of Congress carrying a loaded weapon. I I think in direct violation of House rules, uh, especially after January 6, this is how Colorado lawmaker Republican Lauren Boebert runs for office. She poses for campaign pictures. I don't know if you can see that. She poses for pictures carrying her her trusty sidearm. That's Lauren Boebert. And uh The Charis Christian Center Family Camp holds a meeting every year in Colorado. And last year they asked Lauren Boebert, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, to speak at the Charis Christian Center Family Camp meeting. And here is Congresswoman Lauren Boebert talking about how she prays for our president, how she prays for Joe Biden's death. Here she is talking about how she prays for for President Biden's death. Now, when you watch this, keep in mind, this is a family, a Christian family camp meeting. I do want you to know I pray for our president. Psalm 109.8 says, may his days be few and another take his office. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Not my God. (laughs) 
Not my God. It's so funny. Listen to them. Listen to them. It's so funny. This is, and by the way, that was a family Christian camp where she said that in front of children. They care so much about the kids, don't they? This is from the Tennessee Holler. It's a a newspaper in Tennessee. Uh, This is video of Congresswoman Lauren Boebert last October addressing the Knox County Republican Party Lincoln Day dinner in Knoxville, Tennessee. In all seriousness, there is a calling on each and every one of you to be involved and to rise up. It is an honor to serve in this time, to be disheartened, but a time to rejoice. You get to be a part of ushering in the second coming of Jesus. I'm going to play that again. She's saying this is a special calling, a special time in American history because you get to uh, play a part in the second coming of Jesus. Now, listen carefully. In all seriousness, there is a calling on each and every one of you to be involved and to rise up. It is an honor to serve in this time, to be disheartened, but a time to rejoice. You get to be a part of ushering in the second coming of Jesus. Gun-toting congresswoman who prays for the death of our president tells her fellow Republicans that we have a calling to usher in the second coming of Jesus. Here is uh, Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates, brandishing an assault weapons at a gun show with Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. There they are holding their uh, assault weapons on January 6, 2021, only hours before the January 6, 2021 insurrection, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert tweeted, today is 1776. Most of you know by now that during the actual insurrection, she famously tweeted out the whereabouts of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, The Durango Herald uh, is a newspaper in Lauren Boebert's home district, and they have a piece that points out that Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an assistant to Donald Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, if you remember, Cassidy Hutchinson testified before the January 6th committee last year, and she said that gun-toting Congresswoman Lauren Boebert was involved in the early planning of January 6th. Remember the plans? She participated in the early plans to bring in busloads of, let's call them protesters, not insurrectionists, to try to count, uh, stop, halt the counting of votes. The Durango Herald goes on to write, U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado was involved in the beginning stages of talks with senior White House officials that ultimately led to efforts by former President Donald Trump and his allies to decertify the 2020 election results, a former top aide told congressional 
investigators. The article continues. Cassidy Hutchinson, a former assistant to White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, identified Boebert as one of a small group of Republican lawmakers who met with Meadows as early as the last week of November 2020 to raise the idea of former Vice President Mike Pence intervening to prevent the certification of election results by Congress on January 6, 2021. The ensuing assault on the U.S. Capitol by a mob of Trump supporters that day led to the deaths of five people and Trump's eventual second impeachment trial. Uh, Yeah, so let's go back to California Democrat Congressman Jared Huffman, who is on the same committee as Lauren Boebert. And during last week's committee meeting, he addressed the wisdom of someone like Lauren Boebert being allowed to walk around the Capitol with a loaded pistol or bring a loaded pistol into the committee room. No one should have to worry about members of the other side of the aisle, let alone members who have incited political violence, bringing weapons in violation of House rules into our committee room. Do you and think I we're going to hurt you? We will never hurt you. I would, I would use my farm to defend you, just yield? to be clear. Yeah, that was the voice of Republican Congresswoman uh, Paulina Luna, MAGA from Florida, supported by Donald Trump. Do you think I would use my weapon to hurt you? I would use it. Uh, I would use it to defend you. Ah, oh, isn't that sweet? Well, here is Congressman Luna on Fox News assuring everyone it's not weaponized cretins like herself we have to worry about. No, we need to be concerned about weaponized eighty-seven thousand IRS agents. Yes, we have to worry about the weaponized 87,000 IRS agents who I don't believe are carrying weapons. That's our biggest fear. IRS agents who don't have any weapons. Congressman Ruben Gallego is a Democrat from Arizona who also sits on that committee. He is running for Kirsten Sinema's seat in 2024 after Kirsten Sinema announced that she is no longer a Democrat. And during the committee hearing, he wanted to get back to Lauren Boebert's love affair with guns and how she likes to play dress up with guns. And, you know, Ruben Gallego also likes to play dress up with guns. Uh, Here he is back in 2005 in Iraq. Uh, That's him second on the left, you know, playing dress up uh, with guns. That's uh, He's with one of his fallen soldiers. He uh, posted this uh, to remember one of his fellow soldiers who died with him. He didn't die with him. He died in Iraq while he was serving with him uh, in Iraq. And uh, so having seen what guns actually do, uh, he decided uh, to remind Congresswoman Lauren Boebert of the role she played on January 6th. The member from Colorado forgot to mention January 6th as also an assault on representatives. Yes, it was awful when Ashley Babbitt was murdered. Wow. And you don't care about the hundred other police officers. Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to play this again. This is how she talks uh, to 
Congressman Ruben Gallego, who actually served in Iraq, uh, doesn't play dress up. And this is him expressing concern for the safety of all the members of Congress on January 6th and the Capitol Police. This is Lauren Boebert's glib response. The member from Colorado forgot to mention January 6th as also an assault on representatives. Yes, it was awful when Ashley Babbitt was murdered. Wow. And you don't care about the 100 other police officers. You don't care about the 100 other police officers. No, they do not. I'll get to that in a second. But first, Ashley Babbitt. Fully loaded, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert believes Ashley Babbitt was murdered by Capitol Police on January 6th. It's sad. It's sad that Ashley Babbitt uh, was was shot by, she wasn't murdered, was shot by Capitol Police. It's sad when anybody uh, gets shot to death. But this was an insurrection. And Ashley Babbitt and the insurrectionists had smashed through the window of a barricaded door that led into Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office where staffers at the time were cowering in closets and underneath desks. And Ashley Babbitt, along with her fellow insurrectionists, uh, she was attempting to crawl through that, that window to find Nancy Pelosi and do what? They were screaming, hang her. And so she was shot to death. Now, I'm going to be generous here because I don't like to see anybody shot to death. So for argument's sake, let's not call this an insurrection. It was an insurrection. But for argument's sake, let's just say it wasn't an insurrection on January 6th, that they weren't going to hang Nancy Pelosi or Mike Pence. Okay. For argument's sake, we will not call it an insurrection, but there is no question that it was a riot that got out of hand and looting was taking place. Windows were smashed, property stolen, and it came to roughly $30 million in damages, according to the architect of the Capitol. So this was a riot. This was looting. There's video of them uh, stealing wallets from people's jackets, you know, People, I think uh, people who broke into Nancy Pelosi's office found uh, jackets with wallets and they just took the wallets. This was definitely looting. And we can all agree that smashing windows, mirrors, destroying furniture, stealing jackets and wallets, that is looting. Okay, I'm being generous here. We're not calling it an insurrections. These Trump supporters on January 6th We're destroying something that Donald Trump cares more about than than human beings, property. They were destroying property. And looters, according to the Republican ethos, will be shot on sight. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Hurricane Katrina, where uh, Republicans were saying to black, the African-Americans who were left stranded, they were being warned looters will be shot on sight as though that was the biggest problem facing Louisiana after Katrina looting. But that's what Republicans love to say. Looters will be shot 
on site. Here is Donald Trump back in 2020 during the George Floyd protests in Minneapolis. Uh, Do you remember George Floyd was killed by a police officer, Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, and uh, none of the looting was done by Antifa or Black Lives Matter, but there were common criminals and agent provocateurs setting fire to buildings. And so there was looting. And here is what Trump tweeted in 2020. These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Waltz and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. That's what he wrote. When the looting starts, the shooting starts, right? When the looting starts, the shooting starts, unless it's Ashley Babbitt breaking windows and trying to find the Speaker of the House on January 6th and hang her. Then, according to Republicans, she was murdered by the Capitol Police. You know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. If you're uh, just a self-deputized runt of the litter, like 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, who took to the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and shot two unarmed protesters to death, but was acquitted when he claimed it was all in self-defense. He shot two unarmed protesters who weren't looting, and somehow he was acquitted Uh, because he acted in self-defense. A judge last week ruled that a wrongful death civil lawsuit can proceed against Kyle Rittenhouse. Anthony Huber was one of the two unarmed men Rittenhouse shot to death, and his father has filed a lawsuit against Rittenhouse. But Kyle Rittenhouse is a hero on the right. He is. He's beloved. Why? Because he shot two Black Lives Matter protesters to death, who, by the way, weren't looting. Donald Trump, after Kyle's acquittal, invited him down immediately to Mar-a-Lago and declared, quote, I'm a big fan. (laughs) I'm a big fan. I love your work. But the Capitol Police officer who defended Nancy Pelosi's office and all her staffers hiding in closets and underneath desks. The Capitol Police officer who shot a looter, Ashley Babbitt, a looter, he's vilified by the right because Republicans only love cops when they shoot black people. And this poses a problem for Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who knows how close he himself came to getting killed on January 6th. But he needs Marjorie Taylor Greene. He needs Lauren Boebert, who have both turned Ashley Babbitt into a martyr. Here he is last week being asked to make Sophie's choice, to choose between Ashley Babbitt 
and the Capitol Police who saved his life on January 6th. Do you think Ashley Babbitt was murdered? Do you think the police officer who shot her was doing his job? I think the police officer did his job. He thinks the police officer did his job when he shot Ashley Babbitt. Motion to vacate the chair? The Speaker chooses the Capitol Police over Ashley Babbitt? Motion to vacate the chair? So you can clearly see that members of Congress are concerned that there just aren't insurrectionists among their ranks. There are gun-toting cretins like Lauren Boebert who want to facilitate the second coming of Jesus and they're packing sidearms to make it so. And it never ends well for these people like Lauren Boebert. It just doesn't. And it also doesn't end well for the people around them. Now, we have red flag laws to prevent people like Lauren Boebert from carrying a weapon. She is the reason we have Capitol Police and metal detectors. And if she weren't an elected member of Congress, she wouldn't be allowed anywhere anywhere near the Capitol. But here she was on Wednesday, openly admitting that she's in direct violation of House rules. She's carrying a loaded firearm. Now, think of where you work. I'm not making this up. Even Elise Stefanik's husband's National Shooting Sports Foundation, even they don't allow people to walk around with loaded sidearms at their events. They're selling guns. AR-15s, they're promoting sidearms at their events, and you're still not allowed to walk around with a loaded weapon. But Congress? Apparently you can. Apparently you can. You think this is good for democracy? And that concerns Iraqi war veteran Ruben Gallego who has seen what a gun can do close up in Iraq. He saw what a gun can do, his fallen buddies. So he's a little concerned about members of Congress carrying loaded weapons into committee rooms. So he asked committee chairman, Republican Bruce Westerman, what the actual rules are for this committee. Can members of Congress carry guns? Seems like a reasonable question that Republican committee chairman, Republican Bruce Westerman, would know the answer to. I do have some questions on it. So the the gentleman from uh, Colorado said that members are allowed to bring weapons into committee rooms. What is the chair's understanding? Are are members allowed to bring weapons to the committee room or not? Because I think that's a question uh, of the necessity of this amendment. The chair follows the rules of the House. Uh, no, I agree with that. Now, what is the rule of the House, yeah, sure. in your opinion, uh, Mr. Chair? Well, you're going to be the enforcer of this, Mr. Chair. That's why I'm, I'm asking. You, is, is it your opinion that a member can bring a weapon here? The, the Capitol Police are the enforcer of the, of the rules. So just so we're clear here, the... Uh, the Westerman, the chair of this uh, Natural Resources Committee, just heard a member of this committee, Lauren Boebert, say she walks around with fully loaded weapons. 
right? And apparently uh, he is too chicken shit to remind everybody what the laws are in the Capitol. Watch this portrait in cowardice one more time. What is the rule of the House, in your opinion, uh, Mr. Chair? That's the pause. And then he says it's up to the police. Uh, No, it's up to you to enforce the laws, uh, Chairman. Uh, Nobody's allowed to bring guns into the committee room. Uh, When Bruce Westerman, by the way, he he is a Yale graduate. He studied forestry uh, at Yale. This is what a Yale education gets you. He has a degree in forestry from Yale, Bruce Westerman. He wrote his dissertation answering the age-old question, if a Republican speaks out against gun-toting insurrectionists in the forest, but nobody hears that, does he still get all his campaign contributions? Unbelievable. Would you serve in Congress? Would you work in a place like this where they say, hey, nobody's allowed to bring guns here but we're not really going to enforce it. Would you would you want to serve in Congress? Would you take that job? Tom McClintock, a Republican from California, also sits on the Natural Resources Committee. Tom McClintock called the second impeachment of Donald Trump, which was for inciting an insurrection. Remember, they impeached Donald Trump for inciting January 6th. Well, Tom McClintock, Republican from California, he called it, quote, petty, vindictive and gratuitous to impeach Donald Trump over a mere insurrection. Anyway, he had had enough that day on Wednesday at the committee hearing. He had enough of all these namby pamby Democrats whining about their fellow Republican committee members bringing fully loaded weapons into the Capitol. And as usual, he went after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez because Republican men love verbally assaulting her. And he went after other Democrats on the committee. Uh, I apologize to my podcast listeners because you really do have to see this next clip. This is, without a doubt, one of the most incredible things I've seen Well, in the past week, here is uh, Congressman McClintock. I just wonder if the gentleman from California or the general lady from New York has reason to believe that there is a homicidal maniac amongst us. (laughs) Ah, this is from Politico, and they they kept the three shot. Uh, So uh, Representative Tom McClintock, Republican from California, very condescendingly said to AOC, he wants to know if there's a homicidal maniac amongst us. Can we pull in? Can we get a little closer? Uh, Who is that to the right of McClintock? Is that who I think it is? Can we can we get a little closer? Yeah. That, that's Congressman Paul Gosar sitting to the right of McClintock. Paul Gosar, Republican from Arizona, was sitting to the right 
of Congressman McClintock when McClintock asked if there's a homo, homicidal, homicidal maniac amongst us. Yes, in answer to your question, yes, there is a homicidal maniac amongst us. Turn your head to the right and cough and give him COVID. Congressman Paul Gosar, who asked for a pardon from Donald Trump after January 6th, because he helped orchestrate January 6th. Is there a homicidal maniac amongst us? Paul Gosar was stripped of all his committee assignments. He just got them back uh, after he took to social media promoting homicidal maniacal violence against Nancy Pelosi. Paul Gosar, besides being a danger, danger, he's a dentist, you know, uh, that should tell you everything you need to know. This is from the New York Times in 2018. In 2018, Paul Gosar's six brothers and sisters endorsed his opponent, claiming Paul Gosar had something wrong with him. <laughs> Sorry. I shouldn't make fun of homicidal maniacs, but uh, they said there's something wrong <laughs> with their dentist brother now serving in Washington. And uh, six of his brothers and sisters uh, took out an ad telling the voters of Arizona that uh, he's not good for the country and he shouldn't be in Washington. Uh, then NBC News reported in uh, 20, this would be 2022. Uh, this is a story that NBC News did in 2022. They mentioned that family members of Paul Gosar has decided to speak out in 2017 after Gosar suggested that the white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where a counter protester was killed, was a false flag, that the event was actually the product of sympathetic actors seeking to hurt conservative causes. So he's saying that it was a false flag operation. This is also from NBC News. This is from this year. Uh, Gosar's brother, Dave, Dave Gosar, a Wyoming attorney, said, quote, I consider Paul Gosar a traitor to this country. I consider him a traitor to his family. He doesn't see it, but he's disgraced and dishonored himself. That was an interview he gave after January 6th. NBC News also reports that Jennifer Gosar, the youngest of the congressman's nine siblings, she told NBC News that she's confident her brother, Paul Gosar, played a significant role in the efforts that culminated in the Capitol riot, which is why homicidal maniac amongst us, perhaps, allegedly, Paul Gosar uh, asked Donald Trump for a pardon after January 6th. NBC News goes on to report, since the Capitol riot, Gosar has led the defense of those who stormed the Capitol, calling them, quote unquote, peaceful patriots. He said that at a May 12th hearing. 
He has sought to paint Ashley Babbitt. Remember her? He has sought to paint Ashley Babbitt, the rioter who was shot and killed by Capitol Police after attempting to breach an entrance near the House chamber as members and aides were fleeing. He's attempted to portray her as a victim who was, quote unquote, executed, then adding the unnamed officer who shot her was, quote, lying in wait for her. And NBC News reports that Paul Gosar joined 20 House Republicans in voting against awarding congressional gold medals to the officers who defended the Capitol against the mob on January 6th. There were 20 House Republicans who voted against awarding congressional gold medals to the officers who saved their lives. These are homicidal maniacs who are carrying weapons uh, into the Capitol. Here is the great AOC. Here is the great AOC who has been verbally, if not, let's just say verbally harassed and attacked by countless Republican men on the steps of the Capitol and in the halls of the Capitol. They cannot wait to attack her. And here is uh, Congressman Republican McClintock uh, condescending, making the mistake of being condescending to AOC. I think she did a pretty great job. Name the names and present the evidence before such a catastrophe confronts us. I am not here to impugn the character of any individual member of this committee. I do believe that uh, the performance demonstrated has shown a... Who who do you not trust to bring a firearm uh, into a committee room or anywhere else? I believe that from what I've witnessed, um, the competence of some members may be something that I would be willing well, to question. I think you should give Thank us you. names before the sun goes down because we're all in great danger if you're correct. We're all in great danger because she is correct. Look to your right. You are you are sitting next to Paul Gosar. You're in a committee room with Lauren Bobert, who just said she doesn't care what the law is. She's carrying heat. Okay, you are all in great danger. Uh, uh, Luna, Congresswoman Luna, says she was carrying a gun. Uh, Who knows what Paul Gosar to the right of you is carrying other than a virulent strain of syphilis that has clearly eaten through his prefrontal cortex. Think about where you work. Would human resources allow this to take place anywhere, anywhere other than the United States Capitol? Would they allow that where you work? Would you allow it where you work? It's all about freedom. Yeah, it's all about freedom. Thank you. Tell me what you think. Is this about freedom or is this about the end of democracy? Bringing guns Having fully armed members of Congress walking around the well of the Senate, the House chamber, is this a not so subtle way to destroy our democracy? I think it is. 
I think we have a serious problem with guns. They're going to kill not just 50,000 Americans this year. They're going to kill our democracy if they haven't already, if they haven't already. I have tremendous respect for the men and women who serve, the Democrats who serve in the House of Representatives and the Senate. They are up against the worst party I have ever seen. These Republicans are the absolute worst I have seen in my lifetime. The crazies have taken over. The crazies have taken over. The gun-toting Cretans have taken over the party. They drove out what, what was left of the moderates in the Republican Party. They all left. I talked about this at the top of the show. You talk to any Republican who left Washington after Trump took office, they will say in private that the reason they left is they no longer felt safe. They weren't safe for their family or themselves. So these crazies drove out the, the Republicans. They're going to drive out the Democrats. They're going to dr- if, if if they don't get rid of the guns, the guns, the gun toting Republicans, we're going to end up. God help us leave a comment in the section down below. I read all your comments. I don't respond to all of them. I, I can't, but I do read the ones I do read all of them and I respond to the ones that make me laugh and uh, the ones that if you have a link or some information, I really appreciate it. I really do. And while you're leaving a, a comment, do me a favor, subscribe to this show. That way you don't miss any of our episodes. And as I've mentioned before, I have no corporate underwriting, no corporate funding. I'm not a 501c3. So if you want to help me, the best way to help is to grab the link to this video. If you enjoyed it, hit the like button if you enjoyed it and share this with like-minded people. That is the, the best way to help this show is to spread the word and share this information. Tucker Carlson, would you like to add anything else? Up yours. Ah, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. Dr. Harriet Fry joins us. She is the host of It's Not Just In Your Head, as well She's as... one of three hosts of Not one Just of th- In Your Head. And you also have three shows. It's Not Just and In I Your Head, Capitalism Hits right. Home, and uh, Interpersonal... Interpersonal Update on BAI. WBAI. And you're coming to us from Northern California, where you're going to be for a couple of weeks. And I want to talk to you about Spare. You've been reading the book about the royal family written by Prince Harry. Yes. But first, tell me about Northern California. I hate to bring up weather, but uh, it's the most banal. It used to be the most banal subject. Now it's actually the most important well, it's global weirding. Everything's weird because, <laughs> because uh, you know, Mother Nature's freaking out. Oh, yeah. no, you don't. Don't wreck everything. 
And so it, it rained here. They had 19 inches of rain, and then they just got another couple of inches of rain, having had a drought for four years. So, you know, everything is just weird. An extremist. It is. It's a, because the protective layer of the earth is gone. And it's the utter disregard for anything else except accumulating more profit. Exactly. Because capitalism is destroying the planet. And record profits for all the oil companies, not just Absolutely. Exxon. All of them, all of them. And they're enjoying the inflation and they have enough oil and gas so they didn't have to raise prices. They're not having to import it from Russia, who exports it to China and India, who raise the prices and send it out. Uh-uh. We have enough, but they are not going to give up the profits. And... Biden is not going to make a price freeze. Even Nixon did that mm -hmm. and stopped the inflation, but Biden won't do it. So there we are. You are you're a psychotherapist and you help your clients treat their paranoia, their neuroses through the prism of the economic system that's been pushed upon us. How do I keep from being an Old Testament scold when I'm on the phone dealing with health insurance people? I, I you cannot know, talk. You have. Well, first of all, I I think this works. I say, look, I know you're underpaid. I know you're not making the money. My condolences. But let me tell you the problem I have. Do you think you could help me before we have a revolution? Maybe <laughs> at the end, when they say, is there anything I can do for you? I said, yes, change to a just government. Stop the super rich from taking over everything. And they're very nice. You know, you have to have compassion because they're not the profit system. They're underpaid people. And they it takes a long time to get through because there are too few of them. So if you say, look, I'm not going to take my anger out on you because I couldn't get through. I know they don't hire enough of you and they underpaid you also. So I put my anger on them. Can you help me with this? And then people are nice because you have compassion for their situation and you're not taking out your rage at, at corporate exploitation and having you wait so they can hire fewer people and make more money, oppressing the people they do have by being too busy. And you start out with, with something kind and human. So telling somebody who works for a health insurance company that they work for serial killers. That's what I do. I quite say that. I would That's say what I say. I guess it's I have compassion for you. You're working for a, a profit machine that overworks you. You think of their situation. You know, I had I, I know we want to talk about spare. I really don't want to be uh I don't think I'm being mean to these people who work for health insurance companies. I'm helping a friend try to get to a doctor and it's impossible. Very difficult. And Very I'm dealing with the health insurance companies and I've decided that while they're looking things up and keeping me waiting, I've prepared a little speech that tells them your company is part of a system that drains half a trillion dollars each year out of the economy. You provide no services. You kill people. You're responsible for hundreds of thousands of dead Americans. And you should know that. Yes, but you should also say, and I know you didn't create those 
profit gouging policies. And you have my compassion because I know they're exploiting you too. And you're being paid too little. So telling them they're going to burn in hell for working for no, these. No, they're not going to burn in hell. They're trying to make a living and being exploited. And you're not going to reach them by saying that they're somehow making decisions they're not making. Where is they're the exploited workers? Where is the fire and brimstone? Where are the preachers, the rabbis who hold up the Bible and pound it and say, you're going to burn in hell for killing all these people who have health insurance and can't afford it. Where, where, where they talk about personal responsibility in America. Well, what about the personal responsibility of the people who work for the oil companies and, and the people who well, work they're for the responsible? But one of the problems is, and I usually say this at the end because they talk to me for a while because I'm kind to them. You know, we need a movement. We need a movement where we can go and register our disapproval. Because one individual is not going to do it. If I were in France, I'd say, vote for Mélenchon. Join the France Insoumise, France Unbowed, and because you'll have a voice and can change that. Or if I uh, lived in Chile or Colombia or even Peru, they have a national movement against the dictator America helped put in. But here we don't have a place to go with your anger. But, you but this country talks about morality and religion and a higher power and personal responsibility. Nobody scolds the the 99% for what they buy, what they watch and what they do for a living. And this idea that they have to work, they have to take a job for an oil company or they have to take a job for a health insurance company in this job market. I mean, I just saw they created 500,000 new jobs last month. And they probably 4,999,999 of them are crap. Including, including murdering people working for. Exactly. But the biggest employers in the United States are call centers, which work for all these people and work against your ever getting anything fixed or done. Or Amazon, horribly exploitative. Or um, there's two others. Right, but that, they're exploiting the workers. Fast food. I, I, I don't... Fast food. Right. And you have to serve it so fast. I mean, it's four of them, and they're all horrible, horrible jobs. Right, but there are uh, shades of venality. People who, like Christian Smalls, Yes. Isn't evil because he wants his job back at Amazon. As bad as Amazon is, it's, it's more a concern about what Amazon does to its workers. Right. And, and mom and pop stores. But if you work, if you go to an office every day and your job is to deprive health care to people in the name of mammon, as you would say, at some point, there has to be a Bible-toting psychopath who says, you're going to burn in hell for doing this. That's true. Where are the, where, where are the rabbis? Where are the, where are the, how come the, the rabbis and the preachers don't make these people feel guilty? They make you feel guilty for masturbating. They from the company. Look, if everybody's on the dole, 
It's the same reason why the newspapers don't do much, because they want the ads. If you have people on the dole, it's more effective than a dictator saying no. They lose their income. That's why. Right. So we, we can't masturbate. We can't uh, love people who uh, are of the same sex. We can't be fluid in our sexuality. We can't do any of that. But we can work for a health insurance company and kill hundreds of thousands of people and not feel guilty about that or go work for a gun lobby. And that's I have to make a living. That's OK. Well, a gun lobby is so directly murderous, it's scary. And it's a lobby trying to persuade legislators to OK guns. They just OK guns to domestic abusers who've been right. accused. Of, so you can right. now. That's, a, that's a circuit court. Uh, it's going to end up on the lap of our Supreme Court eventually. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's, uh, I, I, you know, I just remember telling my rabbi who bar mitzvahed my kids, you are so full of poppycock. And that wasn't the word yeah. I used. What are yeah. you talking about? You talk about nothing. You talk about, well, I have a mixed congregate. Eh, you're Well, I didn't tell him he was worthless, but. Unless you're making people feel guilty for the choices they make in terms of what they buy, what they eat and what they do for a living. You're this is this is I'm sick of it. Sorry that you have to hear this, but you I, I don't know. I think, well, of course, look. If there were a movement that said, look, you can get a job elsewhere, I understand, but get out of there. Don't feed the system. But right now, there is no public voice. There is no alternative party. There is no progressive party. If you had a party of that was the Unite Party with the climate and Black Lives Matter and feminist rights and transsexual rights and everyone's rights and unions and progressive unions, you'd have a force that would be most of us and people would be more hopeful and less resigned. That's what we need here. Well, you're a psychotherapist. How powerful is guilt? Guilt is powerful. However, if the society congratulates you for something, it's hard to feel guilty about it. Like they should feel guilty that they're exploiting people to make money for themselves when they're already obscenely rich. However, if they're being given honors and they're being on television as important people and they're being looked up to, Jeff Bezos should be hated everywhere. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk should be disgraced. They're not. What about making, you know, what about making? Oh, you know, okay, once. But he didn't, he was so unaccustomed to being despised, he didn't know what to do. It's a cultural thing. And so they're busy congratulating themselves that they're virtuous because they're rich. This idea, so, collective guilt, after World War II, America decided during the Nuremberg trials, we're just going to go after the top. We're not going to we're not going to blame the German people collectively for the crimes they committed. Let's move on. Right. Uh, but, you know, I know the Germans know uh, Volkswagen knows BMW knows the uh, was it Krupps? All these corporations. Oh, right. We know how deep the guilt went. 
And at some point, you you know, especially our weapons uh, hold entire countries collectively responsible. When we bomb innocent people, right. civilians, and more civilians die in our wars than soldiers, the refrain I hear in the United States is, hey, the Iraqi people have some responsibility for not overthrowing Saddam Hussein. There's a collective guilt when we have collateral damage and kill babies. Uh, I think the same applies to America. We, we can't keep blaming the richest one percent. At one point, the American people have to be made to feel guilty. Right. But I think in order to galvanize the American people, you need to have an alternative to say, no, we can do better. And this is how. Otherwise, everybody's left alone and they go berserk. It's one of the reasons we have such a terrible mental health crisis. Right. Particularly of men who used to have supremacy over women. And then white men who used to have supremacy over black people and their own women. And now not only don't they have supremacy, they don't have jobs, they can't make a living, they can't support their families, and they don't have an alternative dream. So they follow the dream of supremacy to go backwards. They follow the greatness that Trump tells them they'll have. They join the incels to blame it on women. Right. You know, we don't have a national hope. We need that. People need a place to go with their anger and their hope. And without that, you really have a mental health crisis. Right. I see it with my clients. If they get active on something and they stop feeling helpless and victimized, they're much better off. Not that their own personal issues don't mix. It's never just the economy or anything. It's your own interaction with it. But it's a powerful thing. And you have to both have your own personal thing, which is all that most psychotherapy ever does to its great failure. But you have to have that with a place to go for your hope and your energy and your rage. A constructive place. Remember and that means. We really need that. We need a movement here. We need, Remember Jeremiah Wright, Obama's pastor who he threw under the bus? Mm-hmm. God, not God bless America. God damn America. And he lit the litany of crimes we've committed. And he makes the congregation feel guilty for allowing this. I think we need fire and brimstone. I think we need to. Well, then we'll move on. I, I'll give you the last word on this. But we've tried everything. I want Jeremiah Wright to tell the American people you're going to burn in hell unless you change your ways. And this is what you have to change. But I think we need a movement where people can go with their anger, like in the 60s and early 70s. Anyone who was dissatisfied could go to the committees against the war in Vietnam and have a voice. And that captured millions we need a place to go. We need right. a progressive movement desperately. I was reading. Harry would join. Yeah, I was reading. A, a, I don't. I apologize to whoever wrote the piece in the Nation. It was about the protest movement. We always say it didn't work, and I, I apologize to whoever wrote this in the Nation. She said that the protests against 
the invasion, the illegal invasion of Iraq were the biggest anti-war protests mm-hmm. in the history of the world. And they worked. The, the U.N., you know, we, we always think of Colin Powell going before the U.N. and lying. The U.N. said no when he held up. The, we always forget that he held up the vial and the U.N. said, you're a liar. We're not supporting this war. So the protest movement did work. And uh, we were. Again. I'm sorry. It did work and it could work again. Yeah. Someone needs to organize it. Yeah. And I think it needs to be under the auspices of a movement for justice because our country, the re, the allocation of the assets to the top and away from the bottom means that 64% of Americans don't have $500 for an emergency. Incredible. It's desperate. It's incredible. It's desperate. So Prince Harry, mm-hmm. I have taken a lot of flack. I'm an apologist for Prince Harry. I'm an apologist for Meghan. For some, some people, I think it's partly racist. So they, a lot of people hate Meghan Markle. They say she knew what she was marrying into. I look at Harry. I think, what choice did this kid have he made all the right choices. Yes, he went off and fought in Afghanistan and killed 50, uh, 25 soldiers. Pretty bad. <laughs> he, but, uh, but once you're in Afghanistan, that's what you do. Right. Also, Prince Harry made moral choices within the milieu that he lived. He lived right. in a gilded, a golden cage. He spent some time at this mansion and some time at the other mansion and enjoyed the gardens and so on. He didn't think these gardens are soaked with the blood of black people in Africa. Right. The fertilizer is the Asian people killed. Right. What is this? Because that wasn't the context in which he lived. He lived in the royal context, feeling that you do service by showing up at this event or that event to represent the queen. And don't forget, their national anthem is God Save the Queen. Holy Christ, you know. And he's very upset about the symbiotic relationship between the tabloids and the royalty. The royalty pose as being ahead of it all, and then they feed vicious rumors about each other to the tabloids, who then have paparazzi photographing the royals wherever they go and tormenting them. Lady Di made the mistake of being honest about her suffering. And there's a lot of people, including Dodi Hyatt's father. Lady Di was dating Dodi Hyatt, whose father owned Harrod's department store. And he was killed in the car. They never found out who killed them. And people, some people think it was the royal family because Lady Di was about to have, was pregnant with, an Arab baby, and they didn't like that idea. Plus, she knocked them out, and there's a heavy punishment for that. In spare, when Meghan and Harry say no, they with, they put terrible rumors out on them, and they withdraw all protection. That I couldn't believe. So that they would have them, you know, they could have had them killed if it weren't 
for who is that name of that black director who took them in? Medea. Mm-hmm. The anti the union busting. Uh, I forgot his name. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Big union buster. Right. And in but in our country, you can be a union buster hurting the lives of thousands and feel your moral because you do a nice deed for someone else because the political consciousness is so minimal. Now, 71% of Americans now approve of unions. That's a huge increase. And union membership has decreased over time right. because manufacture has moved to um, China, Pakistan, Bangladesh, etc. But people are realizing this huge class discrepancy between the employer class and the employed. And that even when they win as much as 5%, inflation is seven and a half and 8%. So they're always losing to the great wealth. And that conscious is beginning to permeate the society. So going back to spare, do you have any affinity for the royal family? Any forgiveness? Do you have any, do you see any value to them? I see value to Harry as a sensitive human being within his little milieu in which he never sees the social. When he kills those 25 Afghanistanis, he's thinking he's part of the Queen's great England and that he is doing right and that he is finally a person, a man among men and not someone with three bodyguards at all times and separate from everybody. Right. And I think within their view of what society is and their utter ignorance of England's history and also of American history, I mean, 55 million Native Americans were killed at the founding of this country. This is, whoa, major genocide, but we don't learn those things. And we don't have a movement that insists. And that has to happen here. And as the empire falls now, and people are suffering, I think it will happen. I really do. I, you know, I'm kind of congenitally optimistic, but there are signs out there. People are more conscious. When someone says, is there anything else I can do for you on, you know, after keeping me waiting and doing whatever? And I said, yes, we have, make a revolution because the top is too powerful and people are, are hurting terribly. Just do that for me, would you? And they laugh and they say, oh, I wish I could. You know, there's a realization that this is a terrible thing that's going on here. And I, so I feel if there were a movement, a leadership, if we had a Malcolm X or a Martin Luther King, it would coalesce. Right. And that's what I hope. Right. And I forgive Harry for his utter ignorance of the social and political context into which he lives and works. I mean, it, that's bizarre. And yet, within his social context, that's what he sees. And Megan also, she thinks she's doing good works. She goes to Africa and is nice to the little kids who are hurting, and they try to do something for the clinic, whatever. The political economic context 
is something they don't get. And so it's very comfortable for an American audience that is equally ignorant. Right. And he's struggling and he's trying. And between the two huge choices that face all of us, between authenticity of our own self and attachment to the authorities around us, he's choosing authenticity. So he captures your heart. Right. And Meghan Markle and Prince Harry can be forgiven for thinking that you can be the the solution and the cause of the problem. That people who think philanthropy and private donations make can can uh, repair the damage that you do when you're not setting up your philanthropies. You, you can't. Right. You, you the historical damage of genocide on the part of um, England, murdering people right and left. In Kenya, people were fine before the British got there, but they took over the land. They made people into employees. They gave them nothing. Millions died. Right. And they don't don't know their own imperialist history. To me... Americans don't either. To me, the the way these powerful celebrities can help is to do what Jon Stewart does, which is go to Washington, make our representatives accountable. Don't go off and set up your own philanthropies because they're not transparent. They're undemocratic. Pay your taxes. Demand that we have IRS agents who insist everyone pays their fair share. Then go to Washington and demand that that money that we pay in taxes is distributed democratically and doesn't go into the hands of warlords and drug lords and real estate lords to go off like Bill Gates or Oprah or, uh, you know, uh, the the Prince's Trust when Prince Charles sets up his own. It's uh, you're acting unilaterally. It's anti-democratic. It's not your money. It's the people's. No, it's not. And you don't want to see whose money it is or else you'd have huge movement to stop tax law as a job right. so that people can pay huge money to tax lawyers to cheat the rest of us. If you're you going know, to. If, I'm posted. I haven't paid any taxes for years. Right. Because I'm smart. If you want to help Africa. The United States government will do a better job than Bill Gates. Absolutely. If B- Bill Gates wants to help the people of Africa, pay his taxes. Pay your taxes. Let's hold hearings. That's where things get done. What are you reading besides Spare? Well, right now, I'm reading a book called Hold the Line by Barbara Kingsolver. It was about a strike, the copper strike in 1983, where they banned because Phelps Dodge was in with the governor. I was just reading about uh, uh, what's the town in Arizona? Well, there's Brisbee. Brisbee. They just rounded up the people in Brisbee and shipped them like 100 miles into the desert and said... That's right. That's what they did. They also jailed people. They forbid the miners 
from lining the streets to prevent scabs. And so their wives did for three years. That's where the term redneck comes from. People always think a redneck is somebody like a southerner who has sunburn from working in the fields. A redneck is somebody who wears a red kerchief around their neck to identify with the labor movement. And I think it comes from... Is it's it pretty- used as a redneck is is a pejorative term, usually used as right. you know racist. I think it comes from Bisbee, You're racist, really, and, and Dodge Phelps and the copper strike. I I I, I think because Dodge Phelps owned huge copper mines in several Arizona places as well as in Peru and all over the world, but. Um, they also got the governor to call the National Guard against people for striking, even though it's a legal right to strike. Right. And it was the women who held the line for three years or so until that strike was won. But hey, the, what's the name of the book? It's called Hold the Line. Hold the- Here it is. It's called Holding the Line by Barbara Kingsolver. It was her first book. And uh, it's, you know, it's part of the labor history we never learn. We're not allowed to. No, it's not part of our curriculum. And it would have been the most interesting part. You know, everybody at PS81 would have loved hearing about this. We never did. We just heard about those stupid pilgrims over and over again every year in history And we didn't hear that they were major sex abusers either, which would have been more interesting. And that when their kids were captured by the Native Americans, they wouldn't come back when they came to save them. And neither would their wives because they were treated better. Didn't hear about that either. Let's do this next. Are you around next week? Yes, I am. And I'll be more prompt. I'm sorry. That's all right. All right. Let's let's wrap this up and do this next week. Dr. Harriet Fraud, how do people uh, connect with you? hfraud at gmail.com or my website, harrietfraud.com. And fraud is F-R-A-A-D. We love you. We do. Thank you. Thank you. And what you do. Thank you so much. We all need you. We need you. Good. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. Here we go. So much, so much to talk about. Howie Klein, Howie Klein is the founder, treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates all over America. And let's first talk about the Chinese weather balloon. What what is going on? Are the Chinese spying on our weather? Don't they have their own weather to spy on? Well, maybe they heard, uh, what was his name, that... that, uh, Football player from Georgia talking about the Chinese air coming over oh, here. They want right. to check it out. <laughs> Herschel, Herschel, and their Walker. air was doing. Yes, right. I'm showing the uh, photo you have over down with charity. The uh, Pentagon just released a photo. The actual of the, balloon. The actual balloon, and it looks a we, little like. Remember, you see when you look at that balloon, what you don't see is that it would fit four buses. I mean, that's a big balloon. Right. I think Donald Trump could probably fit twice as many buses in his uh, in his gut. They they are looking for any reason 
to go to war with China, the Republicans. It seems like a harmless balloon. Just seems like something that strayed off course. We'll get back to that in a second. There are a couple of because China has been sending, uh, you know, spy balloons over the United States for years and years and years. Um, and, and the U.S. spies on China. I mean, it's just, you know, everyone is spying on everybody. This is, you know, what, what can you say? It is the most frightening. Funniest thing about it was all these uh, right wingers who wanted to, uh, you know, shoot at it with their, <laughs> with their AR-15s. Right, right. And not caring where it lands. No, no. Uh, and, uh, you know, I sort of every now and then would see Marjorie Trader Green carrying on and screaming about one thing or another. And then when someone finally told her uh, in a way that she heard that uh, there were several Chinese balloons that came over the United States when Trump was president. So she, she took it on into a new tangent. Why, which is what since she calls him all the time and talks to him and he said he was never told about it. So now she's screaming, you know, you know, basically like the deep state <laughs> kept it from Trump at, uh, that there were Chinese balloons over the United States. Right. right. It's just it's just kind of like a clown show. It, it's they're getting worse and worse. Uh, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Salami and FTX, uh, that story as it seems to be getting bigger. You've been covering Sam Bankman-Fried since the beginning, and we'll talk about who Salami is and his uh, meetings yeah. with Kimberly Gargoyle and Don Jr. But first, I would like to turn to California, because how old is Senator Dianne Feinstein? I don't know. She was there when Fort Sumter was being uh, bombarded. <laughs> old. She's very, 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 very old. And it doesn't matter how old she is. That's the, that's the thing I, I have to keep reminding people. What matters is the shape she's in. And, and her, in her case, it's very, very bad. There are people who are older than her who are, who are in perfect uh, shape, both phys physically and mentally. She's degenerated uh, tremendously. So she is not capable of being a senator. And there she is being a senator. And we think she's not going to run for re-election in 2020. Right, she's not for re-election. And she's not running for re-election. You know, it's a funny thing. When you're in office, if you say, okay, you're not running for re-election. So if Biden were to say he's not running for re-election or if Feinstein says she's not running for re-election, what it means is, is that you're a, um, a lame duck and people stop paying attention to you. And, and, and you know, they... So that I understand why they don't want to say they're not running for re-election, but they're they're both. I think they're both too old to to run for re-election. I mean, in her case, there's no question about it. In his case, someone's going to have to convince him that he's uh, he can't run. Biden, which I think will happen. You think that might happen? I think it will happen. Yes. You honestly think Joe Biden is? I, you know more than I do, and you're usually right. No, I don't. I just. Going by my gut, I, I do think that uh, he, he – I mean, look, the polling is just terrible. And now the, the most current polling is showing him losing to Trump. Uh, no one likes either one of them. Democrats don't think he should run by a very, very wide margin. I mean, he's, he's just um, – you know, he, he doesn't want to be a lame duck. I understand that. And so he's got to hold off for as long as he possibly can. The, the popularity – it's changed, hasn't it? Because in 2012, 
I believe Obama beat Romney, even though Obama was underwater with his favorability ratings. And in 2016, nobody liked Clinton and nobody liked Trump. And in 2020, nobody liked Trump and nobody liked Biden. It's a different type of presidential race these days. It's a given that we hate all the candidates. So does it matter that nobody likes Biden? It does. And it, it, it does matter. But, you know, we're so used to um, lesser of two evils elections that it, it always comes down to that. But that's why I'm worried right now, because <clears throat> polling is show- <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> polling is showing that Trump uh, is losing out to Biden. Trump is no Biden is losing out to Trump. Biden is losing out. Yeah, Biden is losing out to Trump. Yeah. Uh, but isn't Biden losing out to DeSantis? And do these polls? I, I, haven't, seen, I haven't seen too many polls like that. <clears throat> but yes, Biden, I think, would definitely be defeated by Santos, by DeSantis. Really? But yeah. I, I don't know that DeSantis can win this thing over Trump. Who, who knows? <clears throat> it's all speculation at this right. point. Well, a year from now, a year from now, we will have completed... The South Carol- we'd be coming up on the South Carolina primary, which is going to be the first primary in the Democratic Party. Or is New Hampshire going to fight this? Well, I think that uh, New Hampshire is going to fight it. it, it yeah, everyone will fight everything. You know, we're, we're a fighting, uh, fighting country now. Right. All we want to do is fight. Okay. So let's go back to California. Uh, go ahead. Do you think a lot of um, listeners have neuropathy? Uh, from the show, they probably do. But there, probably, people, probably a lot of people have neuropathy. And that is what, dead skin or dead, uh, parts of the body that don't feel anything? But, well, it's a, nerve, it's a nerve problem. So, you know, I mean, people, you can get neuropathy several ways. One of them is, uh, is from diabetes, Another one is uh, is when you get chemo. Uh, a lot of people wind up, depending on what kind of chemo, you wind up with neuropathy, and it it manifests itself in various ways. But the most common is it makes your your extremities, and it's called peripheral neuropathy, and it makes your extrem- extremities kind of kind of uh, painful, but mm-hmm. useless. And, uh, it's just an awful thing. So my doctor, I have it, and my doctor uh, called me the other day, and she told me about this, like kind of like a, a foot vibrating machine, uh, a, a, like a heavy duty one. And she said, you know, she's having ex- some success with people, some of her patients with it. So I got one the other day, and I've been using it, and uh, and it, it's amazing. I mean, I've I've had this neuropathy for like four years or five years, and I just gave up on ever ever getting better. And this thing is working. It's, That's uh, it's good. Like, it's yeah. And the reason I brought it up just now is because I was, as we were talking, I had it on. And unfortunately, it's so, uh, it's so heavy duty that it knocked over everything. <laughs> everything <laughs> on my- well, when we were in L.A. together, we stopped by a, uh, a CB a, a pot store to pick up some kind of oil that treats neuropathy. And you said to me, it doesn't work unless you believe it works. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. You said you have to be, you have to go with the placebo 
effect. Well, I'm glad. Well, that, well actually, that was, in those days, um, I was getting these very, very, very sharp pains that I was thinking was part of neuropathy, but I don't know that it is really part of neuropathy. And, and, and the, that pot oil that did actually help with that. It, 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 it alleviates the pain. But what I've since discovered is that if you put your, if you just, if you're lying down and you start getting these pains, which is when I would get them, if you just stand up, the pains go away. So I went from, you know, there, I, there were months where I was just like in my bed, like screaming, just like screaming, thinking, oh my God, what are the neighbors going to think? I'm just in the middle of the night and I'm screaming. But now if, if those, if the, it's kind of like a cramp. A very very painful sharp cramp, and now if I if you just stand up, um, it goes away. So that that you, people should think of that last um, three or four minutes as like a kind of an infomercial, right? And if and you, you want to get back to the at hand, right? If you want more information, go uh, to Down with Tyranny, and if you're suffering from neuropathy, Howie will uh, turn you on to this this machine. And it's also good. It's also sounds like a good Valentine's gift for your loved one. It is. It, it's amazing because it's so strong that it it actually you know you just put your feet on it, but it, you actually it stimulates everything. I mean, it's amazing. Everything. Uh, or whole body. I, right. I think they called it the Sibian. Anyway, so um, let's let me go to what you wrote about the three Democrats who will be running for uh, Dianne Feinstein, Feinstein seat. You got Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, and Congresswoman Mm -hmm. Lee. And this is what you wrote. I know all three candidates personally and for years, Schiff and Lee, in person, Katie Porter via phone and email. I would be happy with any of them in the Senate. All three are extraordinary members of the House. You go on to write Lee is the furthest left. Schiff has moved significantly left since first being elected. Katie Porter has a tendency to vote her moderate district frequently, so much so that for the entire 117th Congress, Schiff's voting record was more progressive than Katie Porter's. And then there's so much here. Lee is the furthest to the left. Schiff has moved significantly left since first being elected. Oh, hang on. Uh, you read on, that already. Yeah. On the other hand, this past week, Katie Porter and Lee voted against the Republicans' idiotic "We Hate Socialism" resolution, and Schiff voted for it. So everything is in those three paragraphs. Let's start with Katie Porter uh, voting more conservatively than than Mark Schiff. Uh, no, no, no. No, she's not conservative. She, she, you know, she, she's a progressive. So it's a degree of progressiveness. Uh, and yes, and a lot of people think, oh, you know, she's a super progressive, uh, you know, like, like, um, you know, Ilhan or, or AOC, but she's not, she's, she's a, she's a, you know, I call it a moderate progressive. Like Elizabeth um, Warren. Her, uh, not quite, but almost. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is more progressive than, than Katie okay. Porter is. You know, Katie Porter's strengths have to, aren't necessarily the voting record. The voting record is good enough. It's not, it's not you know, I, I don't want people to get the idea. It's like this. Like, imagine that, um, yeah, I'm going to make these numbers up. These aren't real numbers, but, it, but I just want to demonstrate something. So Barbara Lee 
would be a 99. And, and in last cycle, Adam Schiff would be a 95. And then Katie Porter would be a 93. Okay. And those are all like great numbers. Any any of those people would have great voting records. That's all I'm saying with that paragraph. Well, I do now. I, I do remember. Thing, I do remember. The thing about Katie, go the ahead. Thing about Katie Porter that makes us such a strong candidate is you know, she has weaknesses also, but her strength is that she is able to go after the. Um, uh, you know, Wall Street and the bankers and big business in a very, very clear way and make it very, very obvious to everybody who's hearing her that um, what she's talking about and, and how to how to approach it. And that's why people love her. So it's not just her voting record. It's, it's you know, what she has done uh, at, with her time in Congress and the work she's done in her committees. So that's that's the, that's her big plus. Right. Barbara Lee, we've talked about this. Her big plus is that she was the only one to vote against yeah. Afghanistan. Right. right. But that, you know, the thing, the thing that I worry about that is that people think that's all there was. But of course, that's not all there was. She she like I said, in, in that first paragraph that you read, she's the most far left of all of them. She's the most progressive of the three of them. Now, again, they're all very progressive, but she's the most progressive. Right. And uh, and of course on everything she's she's you know certainly if you're the kind of person that votes on on uh foreign policy you know she would be someone who you would want more than adam schiff adam schiff is still sort of slowly coming along and getting better and better but you know she's been that way since she lived in el paso uh when she was a young girl and and so she's always been very very progressive and, and she's got you know she she was already great and she's still great. Uh, whereas Adam, you know, I had a, a big sort of falling out with him uh, when he voted for uh, one of Bush's wars. And, and I was like horrified that he did. And, you know, and he's come a long way since then. And, you know, but, but he's still, it's still a work in progress. Is it? He's, I, I don't think most people on, uh, on, on foreign policy. That's, that's, that would make, I mean, some people do. But it's not it's not the main thing that people vote on. The main thing that people vote on, uh, it, you know what? I mean, that's actually the, the weirdest thing. Someone who, who was I reading? I mean, is either reading somebody or hearing it on the radio or something? Someone was saying so and so is a really is really good looking, and and that was gonna. Oh yes, that's right. It was someone talking about DeSantis. So I was ready to vomit anyway, and they were saying how good-looking DeSantis is, and therefore suburban women were going to vote for him just because of the way he looks. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think repulsive, but uh, I'm not a suburban woman. And um, I, what I was trying to get at, though, is that people vote for a variety of reasons, and it's not always a rational thing. Uh, you know, people don't scour someone's voting record to see where they are on on uh, on issues. People, you know, when, when I was saying, you know, you know, Barbara Lee is a 98 and Adam was a 95 and Katie was a 93, there's no, there's, there's no one, almost no one who votes is going to make any difference between those three things. They're, they're all identical so, to, most, if to most people. Adam, and people vote for any reason at all. I mean, I've literally hung around at the polls in my neighborhood to see people talk and talk with talking with people and they were going to vote for a bunch of judges based on the names <laughs> trying to figure out, well, 
I'm Italian and this guy's Italian. I'm going. Well, literally, literally, I'm not making a joke. I mean, I literally saw that. Or, or Jewish yeah. or anything. Or, you know, people vote on. And that's like a big reason that people vote. Identity politics is huge. Right. Which makes you wonder. You know, I sent you a, a, of, uh, of, the, of the candidate that Blue America has just endorsed, Dom Jones, Dominique, but known as Dom. And she's spectacular looking. She's absolutely beautiful. She could be a model. She could be, you know, good looking actress. She's just great looking. And I believe there will be people who just vote for her for that. And there are a lot of reasons to vote for her. Uh, and, that's, and that's a silly one. But, you know, if you just look at her picture, you might think, wow, we need someone who looks like her in Congress. Well, the dreads alone. Now, she would replace Katie Porter. Katie. Correct? That's right. Katie's running for the Senate. And so this district, which is a blue-leaning purple district, it, it, you know, Biden, I think, won that district by 11 points. There's no reason why a Democrat shouldn't win that district. It's a little bit closer with Katie, but it was a bad year for Democrats overall. But, um, you know, any Democrat is probably going to win that. So so we're going to have a, uh, you know, we have a jungle primary here in California. So there's a very conservative Republican and two very conservative Democrats. And then there's Dom Jones. So, so you know, the question is, who's, I mean, it, the Republican is going to get one of the, one of the, um, the slots for the, for the runoff. And then which Democrat, will it be one of the two very conservative Democrats or will it be the one progressive woman? And that would be Dom Jones. Have, She's endorsed by Howie Klein. You can go to Facebook. By Blue America. By Blue America. And by Blue America, go to facebook.com forward slash Blue America to learn more or go to secure.actblue.com. Hit the contribute page and support whomever Howie Klein says you should support. Support Dom Jones. Katie Porter is... I have a question. Yeah. But do you think people might resent when you say that? No. No. Because okay. I, don't, I don't... There are two people, you and uh, Ralph Nader, I, there are only two people I use as my political moral compass, and you're never wrong. You, you're never wrong. But... Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I don't know if it's true or not. It's but, true. But the thing is, is that when you say support whoever Howie Klein yes. tells you to support, it sounds so weird. Maybe it would be better for people to, if I, if I recommend somebody, that people then look into it rather than just fork over their money. I mean, I'm happy if they do, but it's it just, it just sort of scary sounding. Yeah, but, you know, I grew up, and my parents, there was a time when Ralph Nader would send uh, recommendations on who to vote for. And I would hear mm -hmm. my mother and father say, well, Ralph Nader says vote for this proposition. OK, you know, at, at some point we're a republic, not a democracy. And we have to trust people to either vote for us properly if they're serving in the House or Senate. Or we have to rely on people like you who are looking at these issues on a granular level and you're vetting the candidates and my listeners trust you. They know, you know, your stuff and your moral compass is true. Stop arguing that. I'm sorry. I'll stop. Arguing. And, and I'll tell you, uh, Dom is, uh, you know, I've been talking with her uh, both on the phone and email and we're going to soon go out to have dinner and she's 
really spectacular. I mean, this is someone who would really make a difference in Congress. She is, uh, you know, and it's hard to make a difference in Congress. It's just like this big glacier. And, you, you know, she's, she'll be working with, you know, when I asked her who her favorite member of Congress was, and she had a few people in mind, but she immediately started talking about Cory Bush. That's my favorite. Um, Cory, yeah, no, well, good. No, nobody's better than Cory Bush. And you also talk about maybe for Congress, California 30. Would that be your district? Is that uh, Schiff's? Yeah, that's where that's that's my district. Adam Schiff is the congressman now. He's leaving to run for co uh, Senate against uh, Barbara Lee and um, uh, Katie Porter. So he won't be he won't be the, the congressman from my district anymore. So there are a whole bunch of, you know, establishment assembly woman and a uh, state senator and, you know, and rich people, you know, rich people's children and all sorts of people are running. And what, but one of them is the woman who's been running against Adam Schiff for the last few years. And her name is maybe a girl. And she would be the first transgender person if she's to win. In fact, you know what? We should have maybe come on the show. Absolutely. She's, She's extreme. She's you know she's a Bernie type person, right. and she's extremely progressive and uh, and a very and very interesting uh, to talk to. And I and I suspect that there are probably plenty of your uh, listeners or our listeners who have never uh, had a chance to hear what a, a transgender politician has to say. So she might be an interesting person to have on anytime you want. Let's do it next week. Absolutely. Maybe for. OK, I'll, I'll ask her. If she can. She, she's she's a working woman. So she's you know, she doesn't you know, but we'll see if she can make some time. OK. And is she officially endorsed by the Blue America PAC? She's going to be. We we uh, we still have to get together, uh, the, you know, the all, all of us to make sure. And so that everybody's, you know is on the same page. But yes, yeah, she will be endorsed. We're already raising money for her. Okay. Let's talk about FTX, Sam Bankman, Freed, and Salami, who I... Yes, I... Who is Salami? What is his relationship to Sam Bankman, Freed? And why do you have a picture of him with Kimberly Gargoyle and Don Jr.? So, so Okay. He was co-CEO of um, with, with Sam Bankman-Fried, but that doesn't mean that he was had equal power with Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried ran the whole thing, but you know, so it was, it was a huge empire with lots and lots of different uh, uh, companies, and and the the, over, the one big one, Salami was his co uh, was the co-CEO of, but he didn't. It wasn't like that he had equal power. It was, it was like uh, you know twenty eighty. I mean, it was, but when it came to um, FT, FTX was stealing billions of dollars from their depositors, like literally, literally billions of dollars. I mean, something between 8 billion, that's the low end and 32 billion, that's, a, that's the high end, but that's a lot of money, whichever it is. And, and they were stealing that money. And one of the things they were doing with it was buying, uh, uh, buying favors from members of Congress and no one knows yet how much uh, they gave to uh, con uh, incumbent congressmen and, uh, and candidates, but, but, but it's, it's north of a hundred million dollars wow. and maybe 
significantly more north of $100 million. And, you know, the, the real issue, you know, right now, like one of the things that people are talking about is, um, well, what are these congressmen who got all this money? Where are they donating the money? Are they donating it? Are they are they sitting on it? Are they refusing to donate? That isn't the question. That, that, you know, that will get taken care of by by the bankruptcy court. What the real question is, what did they do to get that money? You what know, he, 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 it's not not only. I mean, yes, there were promises, but there's more than promises. There was also action. They, you know. Sam Bankman-Fried had an agenda. He wasn't just handing out money to everybody. Certainly, AOC didn't get any money, I can tell you that, and neither did Bernie. So they were, you know, they, they, they were honing in on, on corruption. They wanted people who were, who were obviously corrupt who would do things for them. And some did things for them, and the main thing that Sam Bankman-Fried and his coterie wanted to make sure of was that there would be no regulation. So, of course, uh, you know, tons and tons of money went to Republicans. And that money went from uh, basically from salami, not 100 percent, because Bankman-Free gave money to some Republicans as well. But Bankman-Free is a Democrat. He's a conservative Democrat like his parents. His mother, um, Barbara Bankman, or Barbara Freed, I should say, she... um, she has a she has a pack as well, and she founded a pack uh, called the uh, Mind the Gap, and that was a pack that just supported conservative Democrats. And Bankman Freed was, I mean, the, the main thing he wanted was was um, corrupt. That that was the most important thing that they be corrupt. But when there was a choice between a progressive and a conservative, he went heavy on conservative. He never supported a progressive against a conservative. Almost all of his primary uh, donations were for, for the, less conser- the less progressive and the more conservative in the Democratic. Uh, and he was the guy who was writing most of the checks for the Democrats. Not all of it, but most of it. And uh, like I said, these, these, this gang of his stole billions of dollars from FTX and spent over $100 million bribing politicians, legalistically bribing them. And for some reason, the media, I, I know I have I a feeling after talking to some members of the media, I have a feeling I know why, but the media is not playing up this part of it. They're not talking about all these members of Congress. Hi, I mean, we're talking about Pelosi. We're talking about uh, Kevin McCarthy. We're talking about the Republican whip, one of the worst of, of the lot, uh, Tom Emmer. I mean, there's a video Tom Emmer's on the um, House Financial Services Committee. That's the committee that should have put regulations in place. Instead, he was taking money, huge sums of money, not not just for his own campaign, but at the time he was the head of the um, the, Repub- the, um, the NRCC, their version of the DCCC. So uh, he was taking millions and millions of dollars from Bankman Freed, and there's this incredible video of him all but filleting Bankman-Fried on the, uh, the committee, talking about how great he is and how fabulous he is. This, is this the guy that's supposed to be regulating it? There was no, never, ever going to be any regulations, ever. Right. You wrote- and the media doesn't talk about it. One of the reasons why is because it's a very, very tough uh, um, subject to write about the, it, because it's not clear. It takes hours and hours and hours just to get a little bit of a grip on who got the money and what the, what they, they, they spent a lot of time 
hiding their tracks so you couldn't see it. Sure, there's millions of dollars that came directly uh, from salami to Republicans, from Bankman Free to Democrats. So yes, there is that. But there's much, much more than that that was laundered from, for example, just as one example, since I mentioned his mother's pack, they gave his mother's pack a, hundred, a million dollars. What, so, what did, so what did she do with it? One of the things she did with that, I don't know if we, we've talked about this before, is but she made sure that her, that the people who, who were part of her pack put lots and lots of money into this very corrupt Democrat from Chicago uh, named Sean Caston. And what does Sean Caston do aside from helping to make sure there'd be no regulations? He's also on the uh, House um, uh, Financial Services Committee. Aside from that, he also hired her son, uh, right. Sam Bankman-Fried's brother, Gabe Bankman-Fried, and and he and he was ostensibly hired to open mail. That was it. That was his job. He was going to be a, a letter opener, and if it was important, he would pass it along. If it wasn't important, he would answer the letters himself. That was his job, but what is he? All of a sudden, he's showing up at House Financial Services Committee meetings that are not for staff members, and he's he's talking about uh, how to deal with cryptocurrency, which is, which is, I mean, sometimes a chief of staff goes to these meetings. Sometimes, well, but he opened he opened the right envelopes. They're open or no? He opened the right envelopes, and didn't the mom? <laughs> did didn't she pay well, the mother her? Opened. Envelope, that's for sure. Didn't she pay herself an exorbitant salary from that money? That's right. She, she, most of the money went, uh, you know, I don't know what her salary was, but most of the money went for internal uh, uh, expenses, you know, salaries and expenses. Okay. Uh, while all this is going on, we're uh, just give me five more minutes to talk about the debt ceiling and what Matt Gates said about Medicaid. And you write over at Down With Tyranny that Mike Pence admitted today that he wants to privatize Social Security. You also write. Um, I, yeah, I mean, he, he, he wanted. He, yes, not immediately. You know, they're very, very careful to say, well, no one who's getting it now is going to feel any discomfort or change. I mean, that, that's always what they say, because then they figure they can appeal to people's greed. Oh, it's not going to hurt me. I don't care. Let, let them do whatever they want. Right. So that, that's the little, uh, the little game they play. And you also write that Matt Gates has said that we should make uh, people work for Medicaid. Right. Well, what he, what he, you know, they're trying, the Republicans feel that they have um, Biden over a barrel because of this um, uh, debt ceiling. But the Republicans don't know what to ask for. I mean, what they really want, of course, is to privatize Social Security and Medicare. But their polling showed if they say that, they'll lose 50 seats in the election. So they, so they're, they're, they're kind of trying to take that off the table now. But they want to get something, and they don't know what to get. They don't know what to ask for. They can't find any agreement. And Gates is saying, well, this has always worked for us. Let's, make, let, let's throw people off Medicaid. So what they're saying is, you know, if someone is able-bodied, they have to work. Well, how about if they're able-bodied and they're taking care of their children because they can't afford to have uh, uh, child care? It's an able-bodied person, and they'll throw them off uh, Medicare. So that's so Medicaid. So that so that's um, you know that that was like something that I wrote about a few days ago. There's a special place in hell 
for them. There really is. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates around America. Read him every day over at Down With Tyranny. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. And donate to whomever, whoever Howie says to give money to, even if it's a dollar, do it. A dollar. Yes. And right now you can, if you go to the Blue America uh, congressional page, you can uh, donate both to um, maybe for uh, maybe girl Jones or Dom Jones, uh, Dom Jones, or maybe a girl. And we'll have both of them on the show in the in the upcoming weeks. You know, the election is sooner than you think. It's right around the corner. Thank you, Howie. Great job, as always. Thank, Thank you, you, David. Howie Klein. Bye-bye. Thank you. Read Howie over at Down With Tyranny and follow him on Twitter at Down With Tyranny. And I meant that when I said, if Howie Klein endorses a candidate, give them money. A dollar, two dollars, five dollars. You have no idea how much of a difference it makes. And you will feel better. Everybody right now feels powerless. It's February. I don't know anybody who's happy. I think most people don't even know how angry they are. We're all pretty angry. And so the best way to deal with your anger, well, not the best way, but one of the best ways to deal with your anger is to support progressive candidates recommended by Howie Klein. Go to downwithtyranny.com and learn how to support maybe for Congress or Dom Jones. Howie supports a lot of candidates who win. Katie Porter was on this show before she won. Howie supports winning candidates, but sometimes you need to support candidates who uh, aren't going to win but need your support anyway. They need a vote of confidence. And $5 does that. It's, it's, it's another way of saying, I believe in you and what you stand for. So go to Down With Tyranny, read Howie Klein, and support his candidates. And don't forget to register to vote. How about that, huh? Pretty cool. Register to vote because that's your strongest weapon. It is still our strongest weapon. And the best way to help me, if you enjoy my podcast, is to share. Share these episodes with like-minded people. That's the best way to help. I don't have any corporate funding. I'm not a 501c3 or a 501c4. The only way people find out about this show and the guests I have is through you, the listeners. So I'm asking you to copy the link wherever you're listening or watching this, copy the link and share it on social media or with your friends. Leave a comment in the comment section down below. I read all the comments and I wanna thank everybody for commenting because it uh, keeps me sharp. It really does. And a lot of you, when you're commenting, send me things to read. We have strict community guidelines, so it's a pretty safe place to uh, say what's on your mind as long as you're not uh, a fascist. So please leave a comment in the comment section below. And while you're over there, please subscribe to this channel. Office hours every Friday night at 8 p.m. 
Be part of my community. It starts at 6 p.m. Did I say 8? It starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. And I make myself available to all the listeners for the first 90 minutes starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm there at 6 p.m. just to start. But if you really want to talk to me, I am available starting at 8 p.m. Eastern every Friday night. Go to my website for the office hours link. It's a fantastic community of like-minded activists and miscreants. You can keep your video off and lurk. You don't have to talk or participate. It's up to you. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump.